0: Have you ever encountered a situation in life where you just felt helpless? Have you ever faced a situation in life where no matter what you did or what you did not do, nothing seemed to help, nothing seemed to work, nothing changed? Have you ever had a moment in life where you were just um, aware of your own powerlessness? 10 years ago this summer, Was the summer that my parents separated and got divorced, and I think this is true that for the past ten years, besides my wife Courtney, um, that there is nothing that I've prayed about more than my parents. That if the content of my prayers had hashtags, I'm convinced my mom and dad's name would be at the top of the charts. Like for ten years, I've begged God. For ten years, I've cried. I've been angry. I've prayed every prayer that I know how to pray. Um, I've had every conversation with my parents trying to persuade them. And 10 years later, I think I'm starting to understand just how powerless, how helpless I am to bring about change. What a great way to start our Sunday night together, right? Like, what a real pick-me-up. But this is life, isn't it? Full of good things and full of hard things. Real life is is full of joyous moments, and it's full of painful moments as well. Last week, if you were with us, we've been journeying through the book of Mark for the past seven months, and Dave taught on this, this incredible story that precedes this one, the transfiguration of Jesus. And it's just this amazing moment, this mountaintop moment, and maybe you guys know what this is like, a moment where you see Jesus, where you see his glory, where you see his grace, where, where Christ becomes more real to you, more clear to you than he's ever been. I was thinking about one of my buddies in, several years ago. I think the way just to kind of describe his life is that he was just a good southern churchgoer. That he would show up to church when the doors was open to kind of check the box, but there was nothing about his heart that, that loved God, there was nothing about his life that longed to walk in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. One night after a long night of partying, my friend um, woke up in the middle of the night and he just kind of describes it as kind of this night where, where God became real to him. Like It was a night that, that God was no longer this distant and angry being that my friend would show up on church on Sundays just to appease him, but it was something about that moment where he understood that, that God is near, that he is creator, that he loves us. And if you look at my friend's life, it was kind of like a fork in the road for him that his life was going this way and then he saw the glory and the grace of God and his life ever since has just been this wild pursuit of the heart of God and it's been amazing. And some of you, that's your story. Your your mountaintop moment with God was just like this fork in the road moment where everything about your life changed. But for others of us, for a lot of us, it's not these huge moments. For some of us, it's the moment right before bed where, on a Monday night, you're just reading in the book of Hosea, and you glimpse this picture of the, the faithfulness and the forgiveness of God, and it just overwhelms you. And have you ever had one of those moments where you're just like in the Word or you're, or you're praying and, and your heart is just connected to God? Isn't it true there's something about that moment, that intimacy, that you never want to leave? Have you ever encountered the, the goodness and the realness of, of God Almighty? You never want to leave that space. And yet all of us know that these these moments, they just don't seem to last. That the revelation and the joy that comes from the mountain on Sunday is always followed by life in the valley on Monday. And that's where we find ourselves this evening. The disciples had just seen Jesus um, and they did not want to leave the space. But Jesus leads them back down, back into life. And this is what happens the moment they leave the mountain. And so look with me in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. It says, when they came, when Jesus and Peter and James and John, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. Jesus and Peter and James and John come down from the mountain and immediately they encounter the teachers of the law. This group, these men that have for the past three years kept Jesus under the microscope. They've been watching Jesus. They've been trying to find any inconsistencies, looking for any way to expose Jesus for the fraud that they believed him to be. And Jesus walks down the mountain and he sees these teachers of the law cornering his disciples we're going to kind of come back to them at the end tonight but but i just want to say this about the teachers of the law that for the past 3 years prior to this story that god had been working through the man jesus christ right in front of them that these guys had a front row a front row seat to the ministry of jesus they saw him heal they'd heard him preach they'd witnessed his power and yet these men Their hearts were hardened to the work of God. They were so shut off, so close-minded. They had all the answers. They had no need for Christ. They had no need for what he was doing or what he came to bring. Teachers of the law were so unwilling to see the very God that was moving right in front of them. I love verse 15. Uh, I encourage you to underline this in your Bible. This is just one of these these phrases I think is just rich and beautiful says as soon as the people saw Jesus they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him you know this is this is what happens when when people see Jesus for who he really is there is wonder there is joy And I love that it gives us this detail that that the people ran. And I go, for those of you who are not on a cross-country team, when is the last time you ran towards something because of excitement? And what children do when they hear the ice cream truck coming through the neighborhood? These adults 2,000 years ago in their work clothes, in their suits, in their dresses, in their uncomfortable work shoes, They take off running when they see Jesus. The sophistication, the concern over what people think is thrown out the door because what they want is to be in close proximity to Jesus and there is something here for us. I wonder how often we're concerned about what other people think and it prohibits us from worshiping, from encountering, from seeing. Let's keep going. In verse 16 it says, Jesus speaks to the crowds and he says, what are you arguing with them about? And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I love the vulnerability of this man. And we're going to see a lot more about him as we kind of work our way through this story. But I I just want you to think have you ever had a moment in life where you spoke up in front of a crowd? Do you know what courage it takes? What kind of courage it takes to, to speak up in front of and over a bunch of strangers? Like, could you imagine standing up and saying anything tonight in this room? Isn't that like terrifying? And yet I love the vulnerability of this man. Let's keep going. I love this story in verse 17. It says, man in the crowd answered, teacher, I I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. There's so much going on here. And tonight, I I really want to invite us to to get in this story, to find ourselves in this story. I want us to look at the boy. I want us to look at the disciples. I want us to look at the the father. And then I want us to look at Jesus. And so I just want you to, to kind of let your heart, your imagination go. I go, could you imagine what it would have been like to have been this boy? I don't know if you've ever read this story before. Maybe this is the very first time. I want you to, to take this story and can you imagine what, what it would have been like? To have something inside of you that is real and destructive, that seeks to destroy you, that has taken and robbed you of life as everyone else seems to be experiencing it. Can you imagine the fear that this little boy lived with? not knowing when the next episode would come. You can just imagine that, that he decided to, to not play Little League Baseball and he decided to, after school, not go to the playground and play with the rest of his friends because you can just imagine how embarrassed, how fearful this kid would be that his friends would see him. Think about all that's been taken from this kid. And Some of you, uh, you don't have to try real hard to, to imagine what this boy's life is like. Because when you look at your life, you you know what it's like for something to have a real control over your life. You know too well what it's like for something to to just own you. And here's how I wanna briefly frame this for us, that that there is a God, and our God is so loving, and He's so kind, and He is so good, and He is all-powerful. But in this world, there is also an enemy. And with him come many masks and many manifestations of evil and darkness and oppression. You see, this boy was not just suffering from seizures. This boy was experiencing the work of the enemy, the enemy of God and the enemy of God's children. I want you to feel the oppression. I want you to see it for the destructive nature that it is here. I want you to see what the enemy does, that he robs, that he steals, that that he oppresses. This is the work of the enemy. I want us to look at the disciples for a minute. I'm so intrigued by the second part of verse 18, where this man is talking to Jesus in front of this huge crowd. He's just throwing it all on the line and just courageous. And and he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit But they couldn't. They couldn't. You know, I was thinking a couple weeks ago, we we talked about this story in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus called these these 12 disciples, these these same men, he called them to him. And he gave them power. He gave them authority over impure spirits. And in verse 12 of Mark chapter 6, it says that the disciples went out, and as they encountered demonic spirits, they drove them out. And I go, I wonder what this moment would have been like for the disciples. To know that the power had been given to them, to know that the power had worked in the past, but but something wasn't working in this moment, that here they were doing the same things they had been doing, the way they'd been doing them. And yet this time, nothing was happening. Do you relate to this? disciples of Jesus in this room? Have you ever been used by God in the past through the power of the Holy Spirit? Has healing ever flowed through your hands? You ever laid your hands on on a a friend or one of your kids or a coworker that was sick and, and you prayed and God healed them? Has healing ever flowed through your hands? You ever been courageous enough to lay your hands on someone who was sick and ask God to heal them? Have you ever been used by God to to bring someone to faith? Have you ever shared with one of your friends or with someone in your family about the goodness of Jesus and and, and, and watched as they received it? Has the power of God through the Holy Spirit been given to you? Disciples of Jesus, I want to ask you this question and I want you to answer me out loud. Has the power of God been given to you? Disciples of Jesus, has the power of God been given to you? Disciples of Jesus, have you ever faced a situation where the power didn't seem to flow? Where the prayer didn't work? Where the sharing of the gospel fell on unconcerned ears? then you know exactly the, the thoughts, the concerns of the disciples. This is, we looked at the boy, we looked at the disciples. I want us to look at the dad in this story for a minute. Have you ever been the dad in this story? Or do you know someone like him? Do you know what it's like to be in a long season of seeing someone that you love suffer and struggle and just not get any better? You know, though this boy's life was hard, so too was the dad's. And I think so often we read passages of scripture like this, it, it just feels so distant, feels so far away because we've never seen anyone that, that has a, a demon in them that works in this way. So often we just read over this and we skip over it and we go, well, oh, what's the, the next story in the Bible? But I think God is trying to reveal something powerful and beautiful, something, uh, something beautiful to us here. And I was trying to imagine what it would have been like for Brandon to have been in the story. And I just kept trying to look at the father's face. I kept trying to, to imagine what his face was looking like. And, and as I kept looking about it, as I kept trying to imagine what it would be like to be in the story, I just kept seeing sadness. And I just kept thinking about how helpless this dad must have felt. It made me think about one of my friends in my life. And I remember looking into his... His parents' eyes and just seeing the tiredness in their eyes. seeing the confusion in their heart, seeing the sadness over their kids struggling and continuing to make destructive decision after destructive decision, and then just looking at this puzzled look and going, "Man, we have no idea what to do." Have you ever been there? Seeing someone that you love being worked on by the enemy? Have you ever seen someone you love being robbed of life, being under the power of darkness? Have you ever felt the helplessness of the father? All right, let's like just take a deep breath. This is like some heavy stuff. And this is real life, though. There's good news in this story. Now here's what I love about this boy's daddy. And I think this is one of the things that the story is wanting us to see, to notice that that the dad brings his boy to Jesus. The the dad, he, he brings him to Jesus. He brings him all the way to where Jesus is. And I love the the second part of verse 22. The the dad says, man, this demon has thrown him into the fire. He's he's tried to drown him. Like this demon keeps trying to to make my son commit suicide. Jesus, if, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And I like this because this is real. That what he says to Jesus is raw and unfiltered. And this is how someone who is actually in the middle of seeing someone they love struggle, this is how you actually feel sometimes. God, if you can do anything. I think our God, I think our Father is so honored when we're honest with Him. That one of the great benefits to being a daughter and a son of God is that He knows our thoughts, He knows what we're feeling which means that when we come to him, we don't have to pretend, we can come to him just as we are. And this man's faith, it is far from perfect. This man comes to God and he doesn't even know it anymore if God can heal. And though his faith isn't perfect, his posture is. His faith is far from perfect, but the posture of coming to Jesus is perfect and he comes to Jesus and he says if you can do anything will you please have compassion God will you please help us Jesus in verse 23 says if if you can if i can if i can my child everything is possible for one who believes What do you think Jesus means by everything? Do we really believe this? Or do we believe in a Jesus that is not the real Jesus that says to us, hey, some things are possible, a few things are possible? Or do you believe in the Jesus that the scriptures reveal to us who says, no, everything is possible for the one who believes? Verse 24, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And I go, of course, man. We get that feeling, right? Jesus, I believe that that you can heal my, 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 my friend that has cancer. But help the places in my heart that don't believe. I believe that you can heal my roommate who is struggling with depression and anxiety and thoughts of suicide. But help my unbelief. And I think that that this is what the story has been building towards. That ultimately what Christ Jesus is looking for and wanting in this man, that what Jesus is looking for and wanting in you and in me and in our generation is belief in him. Belief in his character. Belief in his capabilities. Belief in his character and belief in his capabilities. Let's keep reading. I love the the way the story ends in verse 25. It says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. Listen to the power. Listen to the authority of Jesus. He speaks to the spirit and he says, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, it convulsed him violently and he came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And the boy stood up. I want us to think about the the capabilities of Jesus for a minute. That what no one else could do, Jesus did you just think about the father in this story he is clearly a good dad he clearly loves his son and the reason we know that is because this boy has been suffering from this oppression this work of the enemy for a long time we don't know how long it's been but but the dad says from childhood and you just kind of get the sense that that this has just been going on and on and on and the picture you get of the dad is that he hasn't given up on his son the picture you get of this, this dad is that, that he's still got his boy by his side. He's still committed to helping his son. And you know that, that with a dad like this, who, who, who loves his son, who's been with his son, who, who's continuing to walk with him, you know that he's done everything that he knows how. He's taken him to, to every doctor and every psychologist. He's taken him to every single person. Spent his money, traveled, fought. You know that he's done everything he can. And yet the father's powerless. You think about the disciples, these, these 12 men, and, and I can just imagine what this was like. The power had been given to them. And up until this point, man, every time they, they laid their hands on someone, every time they encountered a demon and they prayed, it fled and there was peace and there was freedom. But there was something about this. And you can just imagine them like praying every prayer they know how to pray. imagine them like raising their hands and falling on their faces and holding their hands out like just doing everything they know how to pray and nothing seems to help this boy until Jesus and I want you to see the power of Jesus the the capabilities of Jesus that, that no one in this story can do what Jesus does no one you know Jesus he is not some just character in some fairy tale And Jesus is not someone that we have created to make sense of our environment, our world around us. No, Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ heals. And Jesus Christ does what no one else can do. And and there is no one like Jesus in his capabilities, and there never will be. In Jesus, with Jesus, is all healing, all power. He alone is exalted. Exalted. But it's not just about his capabilities. I want us to think about the character of God. The, I want us to look at the heart of Jesus. Who chose to, to come down from the mountain? The, the mountain where, where God showed up and, and spoke from the clouds. You are my son. Could you imagine in your quiet time, like tomorrow morning, like waking up and you're like sitting out on your swing in your backyard. You're like taking a walk. We're doing whatever you do for quiet time. And, and hearing the audible voice of God, you are my son. Rachel, you are my daughter. Justin, you are my son. Like, could you imagine hearing that? And who was the one that that decided not to stay on the mountain but chose to come back down? Who? Jesus. And who, when, when coming down from the mountain after this amazing moment, And he sees the crowds. He he sees the antagonistic people, the the teachers of the law. And and he doesn't run from them. And he doesn't tell his disciples to, to, to leave and to flee. But who is the one that engages these people who are skeptical and cynical? Who? Jesus. You can talk. It's church. It's okay. You don't have to be quiet. Who was the one that said, bring the boy to me? Jesus. Who spoke and drove out the darkness? Jesus. Who forever healed this boy? Jesus. And who took him by the hand? Jesus. There's no one like Jesus. There's no one whose heart is as good as Jesus. There's no one whose, whose, whose love and whose devotion and whose power is like Jesus. Jesus. There's no one like Jesus in his capabilities and his character. Do you believe this? God, we believe. God, we want to believe. Help our unbelief. Let's finish up this story in verse 28. It said, After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, This kind can only come out by prayer. This is a word of God from Mark chapter nine. You know, I was thinking about what Jesus is teaching us here. And I think it's important for us to understand this, that Jesus doesn't say that every time we pray, we get what we want. And he doesn't say that prayer is like a genie in a bottle that we pray once, and then immediately we get what we ask for. See, Jesus is teaching us here something in the spiritual world that is deep and rich. That there are things in this life, that there are manifestations of evil that no one and nothing in this world is able to change. That there are things that only God can do. There are things that are happening right now in our world that are bigger than us, more complicated than we can even get our minds around. And Jesus is wanting us to see that at the top of everything, so however you want to talk about this, at the top of the food chain, sitting on the the highest mountain, the undefeated one, the the king of kings, the Lord of lords, is God Almighty. And Jesus is is sitting us down and he's going, you've got to understand. like The people who are gathered here tonight at the five o'clock at the cannery, that, that prayer is the only way that some things will come out. That the only way some things in our world, in our lives will be different is if God does something. You see, I think Jesus is inviting us to be people who believe in prayer and the one that we're coming to, both in his character and his capabilities. God, we believe. Help our unbelief. And I think it's important for us to talk about this Um, Just because we ask God for something, and just because we ask for a long time, it doesn't mean that God always says yes. You know, our lives, as much as we want this, as much as we want to believe this, as much as we fight for this, as much as our culture tells us this, our lives are not primarily about avoiding pain that our lives are not primarily about the absence of pain and suffering. You know, we can, we can try and run from these things. We can shield ourselves from them. But pain and suffering just have their way of finding us. Your best friend passes away. Your brother dies. The girl breaks your heart. You lose your job. Pain finds us. It's part of the human experience. I go, if our lives are not about avoiding pain, if our lives are not about the absence of pain and suffering, like, then what are our lives about? I believe what this story is teaching this is that our lives are about being filled with the presence of God. It's about us walking with our God. Believing in his capabilities, believing in his character, even when when nothing seems to be happening. Even when the teachers of the law, even when our friends and and our co-workers are pointing out how God, if he really loved us, he would never allow us to go through that. There's so many people around us trying to disprove our God, trying to to, to steal our faith, to steal our connection to our God. That's why we have to look at Jesus. It's why Jesus is so important. It's why Jesus is so central. It's why he is so beautiful, not just on the mountain, but also in the valley. You see, Jesus came to show us something about life. The Son of God Himself, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, He faced immense pain, incredible suffering. His life was anything but easy. The Son of God, His life was anything but free of pain. Jesus knows what it's like to pray and for the answer to be no. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to feel like God isn't with you. Where on the cross, He said, God, why have you forsaken me? And the reason we look at Jesus is because Jesus didn't just come to save us, He did come to save us, and it's glorious. His salvation is glorious. But Jesus is not just our get out of jail free card. God became flesh to understand us. God became flesh to, to know what we're feeling. Jesus came to show us what it's like to, be- to, to live, to, to believe in the character and the capabilities of God in the midst of hard, real life stuff. Jesus Christ came to fill our lives in the midst of a broken world with the fullness of God. So what do we do when our prayers seem to go unanswered? What do we do when we're the disciples and nothing works? What do we do when we're the Father and when we're in long seasons of suffering with someone that we love? We believe in his character. We believe in his capabilities. We believe that he wants us to come to him just as we are to bring our boy, whoever or whatever our boy is, to him. And we trust that when the answer is no, um, when the suffering, when the struggle, when the pain comes, we trust that God has not been stripped of his goodness, that God hasn't lost his power. We trust that the suffering like it is written in scripture, God, you make all things work together for the good, those who love you. And we trust that that when Jesus shows up and, and he decides not to drive out the demon, and the depression lingers, the cancer remains, we trust that that even those things will find their place in God's great work in our lives to fill us with his fullness. This is a heavy text, a hard text. I like teaching feel-good stories way better than these kind of stories. But the reality is that we need this if you're not in a season like this, you will be. And Jesus is inviting us to be people who trust in prayer. To trust the one that we're praying to is on the other side of our prayers and his character and his capabilities. Tonight, one of the things that we do every time when, when we gather as the people of God here on Sundays is we, as we take communion. We, We take a piece of bread and we take a cup and we do this to, to be reminded of Jesus, to be reminded of who we are because of Jesus, who we are in Jesus. And tonight I want to invite you just into a a little bit more, a little bit deeper experience with, with God and the people around you. You know, I think so often we, we relegate communion to to just this kind of somber time where we close our eyes and it's just about us and God thinking about the cross. And and I want to invite you that that maybe tonight communion is not just about reflecting on the cross, but maybe tonight is is, is this time for God to to really speak into your life and encourage you. That tonight might be the the time that that God is going to use the people that you came with to to put their hands on your shoulders and to pray for you. And for the first time in a long time, you realize that, that God is in this mess of life with you. And though the situation might not change. Your God is with you. And so tonight as you take communion, I want to just kind of invite you to to take communion with the people that you came with. If you didn't come with anyone, I invite you to take it with the person sitting next to you. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, that's totally okay. You can close your eyes and bow your head. That's um, that's great. But I want to invite you as you take communion to, to just maybe figure out where you are in this story. Some of you, maybe you're, you're the boy. And as you look into your life, you realize that you need deliverance. Maybe it's an ailment. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's a place of unbelief. Maybe it's a a place of oppression. And I invite you just to share that tonight. You know, what I, what I admire so much about this dad is, is that, that he had the, the courage, the vulnerability just to speak up. And, and I'm not giving us a, a formula here that, that this is the way that God always works. That if you do this, and God always does this. But I go, the father spoke up. He was vulnerable. He was courageous. And because that happened, his son experienced healing. I go, what might happen tonight? Should you choose to be vulnerable and courageous? If you're the boy, just share that. Share where you, where you need deliverance. Where you need God to, to just drive out the oppression of the enemy in your life. Where you need him to drive out a pattern of sin or an addiction or an ailment. And to let God encourage you as your brothers and sisters lay their hands on you, pray for you. Some of you tonight, maybe you resonate with the father. And as you look at your life, you just realize that that you need help. That you believe, but but, but there's still unbelief there. Your your, your faith is weak and you're tired. And tonight, if if you resonate with the Father, share that. Share how how you're experiencing, walking through a hard, painful journey with someone. Nothing seems to be changing. Some of you tonight, maybe you connect with the disciples. You know, some of you in this place, you've been walking with God. You've been living on mission. You've been caring for the lost. You've been serving. Like, your, your, your life is about the things of God. And maybe tonight is just this reminder that, that your ministry, that you're ministering to other people, is dependent on God completely. That your life, that your work is nothing without God. And I just want to invite you tonight to to think about, man, who are the people? Who are the people that in your life that need God? Who are the people in your life that need the miraculous and powerful work of God? And will you be the type of people that will stand beside them until Christ comes down the mountain, does what only he can do? So if you're the disciple, I want you to think about who are the people in your life that don't know Jesus and pray that God would use you this week to bring freedom and life and healing. And others others of you tonight, you relate with the teachers of the law. That as you look back on your life, you realize that that you're just marked with with cynicism and, and skepticism that you're always pointing fingers, you're always trying to disprove God. And I wanna just invite you, man, don't miss the very God who is working in front of you. I know sometimes, man, we, you, you, we work so hard to, to, to not believe in God, to wanna to disprove God, and yet he is working in front of us. It's not a coincidence that Jesus did his best ministry right in front of the teachers of the law. It's not a, quin- a coincidence that, that your sister is a devoted follower of Jesus. It's not a, a, a coincidence that the person you share a cubicle with at works is a devoted follower of Jesus. And I go, man, don't miss out on God. Because you think you have all the answers. <laughs> And I want to just invite you tonight, as we take communion, if if you're identified with the teachers of the law, to share that. And if you want to talk or pray, there are going to be some of us up front at this respond banner to my left, and and we would love to just talk and, and listen to your story and help you see how much God loves you. We'll help you see the ways that God has been working in your life. Wherever you find yourself tonight, I invite you to be honest, to be vulnerable. And this is where I'll leave us tonight. Over the past 10 years, I have become so aware of my helplessness, my powerlessness. But because of the Holy Spirit inside of me pushing me to keep coming to God, keep believing, keep trusting. Because I have community around me, because my wife, and my coworkers, and my friends, they keep pushing me, they keep encouraging me, they keep holding me up when, when I couldn't stand on my own, when they keep praying for me, when I couldn't pray for myself. I've encountered the realness of God. Past 10 years as I've been praying for healing and reconciliation and restoration, my parents, I have experienced his love and I've thanked him, and I've worshiped him, and I've grown to love him. And I just want to leave you with this. That there is a place of joy. That there is a place of belief. There is a place of hope. There is a place of connection. There is a place of love to God that Satan cannot touch. And that is ours for the taking. Let's pray.